I'm Nikki Kristoff, and welcome to Teched Up. This is our second ever edition of Beyond the Buzz. And for those of you who are still catching up on the show being weekly, it's an episode where we look past the clickbait and tech news and talk about what's really happening in those articles. I'm joined again by Lauren Tomlinson, half of the dynamic duo at Steer PR. We've got lots to talk about this week, so we'll dive in. Lauren, welcome to the studio. Thank you for, again, being experimental and trying this new format of looking at headlines. I appreciate you joining me. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to be here again. It was so much fun last time. It was fun. So today, as a general rule, I try to avoid politics on this show, even though I'm actually pretty political privately deep down. Uh, but we have to talk politics because we are full swing election season. Prayers. <laughs> and it's worse here being in D.C. Oh, it's definitely worse being in D.C. I've had people tell me they're like, I just I can't move back to D.C. at this time because it's so bad in D.C. during election season. No, you can't even buy a latte without talking to the barista about politics. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Pro tip, I have a Chrome extension that actually blocks any headlines with an individual who rhymes with Trump. <laughs> but that means sometimes I'm super clueless in a way that is a little embarrassing. I kind of feel like I need that for Taylor Swift right now. <laughs> I was wondering how I was getting fed so many Taylor Swift stories the other day. Yeah, you can get a Chrome extension <laughs> yeah, to that's, block that that's stuff. Good to know. Yeah, save yourself. This is good tech tips. <laughs> These are good tech tips. So I wanted to talk actually about a, an article that you flagged. Your PR firm puts out a, a newsletter called Bluff, which for people who don't know is bottom line up front, a key tenant of good communications. And one of the articles you had is about disinformation and misinformation as we approach these important elections, not just in the U.S., but globally, that are being run by the Chinese Communist Party. And I thought it was super interesting and important for people to hear about because it's impacting all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And this one, this article specifically focused on the campaign that the Chinese are running currently, the CCP are running to heighten divisions within the United States. And they're producing lots of, they're using Gen AI to like produce images of Trump and Biden, you know, sword fighting and all of these like aggressive images of division and civil war and, you know, internal strife within the United States. What I thought was super interesting about this article, though, was that they specifically said that the CCP isn't particularly good at it right now. So mm -hmm. like they're producing tons of content, but it's not necessarily making an impact um, in in particular on X. However, you know, X it's being Twitter. I'm X just clarifying because I still call it Twitter. Yeah, I, I had to look it up. And AP style actually re prefers that you say X formerly known as Twitter. I'm when just you're not writing. going to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll always be Twitter and I'll for you. Never, I'll never say meta. Stop trying to You'll make it up or say meta. Never. Well, speaking of meta, they actually had an announcement out this morning that they are going to start working with the EU ahead of their election cycles to combat some of these um, misinformation campaigns, disinformation campaigns ahead of their election cycle. Because as you know, there's like a ton of elections this year. It's a big, a big year for democracy. And, you know, Russia, Iran and China are going to be taking advantage of that. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of emphasis on these disinformation campaigns and how generative AI is messing with the election cycle this year and all of those types of things. I actually look at it from more of a make sure that you're getting your information from credible sources and double checking everything because if you're relying on social media to tell you where to go vote, that's actually a bigger threat than if you're going to just get some information about, you know, how Biden's terrible or how Trump is terrible, because this is going to be a nasty election cycle regardless. So this is going to be a nasty election cycle. And I think one of the points of the the 
articles over the weekend about this escalating CCP misinformation and disinformation campaign. Well, first of all, they called it Spamouflage. <laughs> yeah, which is a great name. <laughs> which is a great name. And the idea is that they're sort of incepting these really negative, divisive pieces of content into the discourse on Twitter, on TikTok, on even Instagram, where it's not like they're inventing the divisions. They exist. There already are these this polarization, but they are just sowing discord and making it worse such that people think, wait, I'm going to read a line from from the article, actually, which I thought was it said, the, the whole point of the, the campaign is to breed disenchantment among voters by maligning the United States as rife with urban decay, homelessness, fentanyl abuse, gun violence, and crumbling infrastructure. <laughs> and when I read that, I thought, this is really interesting because I already have started to absorb that messaging pretty seriously. And I'm not on TikTok. I'm barely on Twitter. I have no Facebook account. And I'm on Instagram following like you, <laughs> which is just pictures of my kids, just pictures of people's kids and vacations. And I'm still getting that messaging because everyone around me is getting that messaging. And so I think that one takeaway was that they're not really getting a lot of engagement necessarily of real humans amplifying these bots and this information. But it does seem to be seeping into the discourse pretty effectively well, I to think create they're chaos. capitalizing, they're capitalizing on messaging that political parties are already pointing out. So, you know, the crime and fentanyl, those are Republican talking points right now. I think the infrastructure decay, that's something that the Democrats are talking a lot about. So it's not necessarily, too, that they're propping up one political party over the other. Their goal ultimately is to heighten all of these tensions, heighten these feelings and make it seem as though the United States is in chaos, particularly to the international stage. That's part of their goal as well, is they don't want the U.S. being in a place of power to which we are full strength that we will interfere with their domestic or international goals. One of those being if they want to retake Taiwan, for example. Right. They want the United States in pure chaos to where they can't muster enough international support to go and justify us protecting Taiwan if we ever reach that. So they're trying to, you know, put themselves on the international stage to where they can be a world power and it's not just Western ideals that are kind of governing the international world order. A United States in chaos, showing that democracy doesn't work, projecting that we aren't strong or unified, that's their ultimate goal, right? Because that just leaves a, a power vacuum in their mind that they can go in and fill in the Middle East, in the global South, everywhere. When we think back on 2020 and this information, the Russian disinformation campaign and favoring one candidate over another, ultimately, these foreign actors, that's not their goal. Their goal is just the United States in chaos and the United States internally divided because then we can't project strength internationally. Right. And it shows or it demonstrates, tries to demonstrate the fundamental weaknesses of democracy. And a lot of the places where they're building this infrastructure and intervening, they need cobalt and lithium and all the stuff we need to build our cars and our phones. And so it's in their interest to just go straight to those nation states and be like, hey, at least we're reliable. You know, the Americans are beclowning themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, we talk about this a lot, too, from a messaging perspective is, from like a national security perspective, every time Congress can't pass a budget, right, or there's a government shutdown, it ends up doing is just giving talking points to the CCP to go out and say, hey, African nations that are producing these cobalt, you don't want to have a deal with the United States. They can't even pass a the government. They're not, their government's not even working right now. 
let us buy your mind. Let us fund everything. Ultimately, we're more stable than the United States is. We'll live up to our uh, promises. And I think that's a horrible talking point to be able to give to the CCP. Right. And it's a legitimate one. We're on the brink of yet another government shutdown this week. Yeah. It's going it's like a day ending and why? Yeah, a partial one, a partial one. Yeah, a partial one. Exactly. I mean, again, living in Washington. So, OK, so the point of this article was there's these spamouflage campaigns. They're putting all of this concerning, harrowing, upsetting content into all of our social media feeds. It's making, you know, they're turning the dial in different ways that make us feel even more freaked out. I have some thoughts on this, but what do you think social media companies and the government can do to sort of combat what what is essentially a political warfare tactic? What can we do? So I think there's two paths and you've seen one be pursued heavily in the past. So I think, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before where it's historically the national security apparatus government, we were so focused on battling terrorism, right? And online radicalization. And you remember the ISIS beheading videos. Right. And that was like a huge deal. That was a huge focus for both the government and the social media companies for a long time. At DHS and FBI, they started sh- uh, sharing threat assessments. And you, just to be clear, used to work at the Department yeah, of Homeland Security. used to work security. at the Department of Homeland Security. So I was in all of those meetings where we were sharing all of the um, ongoing threat assessments with and also like flagging videos that we knew came from ISIS to the social media companies. And we were asking them to take it down. Ultimately, it was up to the social media companies to make the determination because free speech and all those types of things. But the idea was if you're sharing intelligence, then that creates a safer environment and also mitigates these risks for populations to be influenced by radicalization videos. Now that's kind of evolved. Like that practice continued for the threats, but now the the influence campaigns became vaguer and vaguer. How do you now share a threat that you know that this is coming from the CCP, but it's messaging that is basically cripping off of uh, political messaging that's happening in the United States anyways? Does that reach the same level of censorship that that we would think about from an ISIS beheading video? So now enter in the court cases with big tech and conservative groups and legal and the First Amendment and all these things. That's kind of where it is right now. So that's one path, right? Like you work with government, big tech takes it down. You know, that's the way that, that, that we're going to address those threats. The other, and I think this is the way that we're moving forward, is Americans are really smart. Like that's my that's always my premise is like it's a hot take. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that Americans are generally very I smart. Do too. <laughs> and I think that if you equip them with information, you know, and this is probably the comms person in me, if you communicate really well to them, they absorb it, they act on it. And you know, this is something that I saw in government too, like when you are communicating threats regarding natural disasters. People take that information and they act upon it. They, you know, they make sure that they evacuate. They make sure that they take care of their neighbors. Like inherently, I think Americans are very smart. I think now when we're talking about these disinformation campaigns from foreign actors, one of the best things that government can do is just over communicate the threat as soon as they have it instead of just going straight to the social media companies back channeling it. Now, I think it's incumbent upon government to basically flag these things for the American public and say, we know this is happening. Be aware And then there's a literacy, an online literacy issue there where, you know, I think younger generations are really good at it and the older generations are having to catch up. But ultimately, we're going to have to be more responsible for what we're consuming and sourcing, basically being aware that, yes, you can take this meme and agree with it and share it, but it came from the CCP. Right. I think that that's right. If people know more, they might handle the information they're getting better. And yet... 
we have rock bottom trust in government, rock bottom trust in tech companies. We do have, unfortunately, the whole point of these campaigns is to make us mistrust each other as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there does absolutely need to be more of a campaign around online literacy. What are you seeing? Where did it come from? Who sponsored it? Who paid for it? You know, use your critical thinking skills. Does this make <laughs> sense? This thing that you're reading is somebody trying to manipulate you to make you more scared. Oftentimes people underestimate the American voter. They have good intuition around things. However, we all have fear fatigue and news fatigue and people are busy and people are stressed about everyday life. And so it's hard to also then go through the provenance of this. You know, yeah, go social... find it. Right. Right. So like I'm going to go Google the FBI site and see what foreign actors are currently operating online. Like that's like just not going to happen. Right. <laughs> right. And so maybe you could see a world in which people with a lot of social influence might get involved in trying to give a trusted uh, narrative around this is what's happening. You know, we have, sometimes have a lack of imagination for what can happen if democracy fails. Yeah. And democracy fails all the time. All the time. But, you know, I love people always say like, oh, democracy is so messy. And oh, democracy, like our systems are failing us. And I just look back across history and I have such optimism that that's not going to ever be the case because as long as American voters continue to participate in the system, we continue just to bounce back. I'm long on democracy, but I do think that we need to be very intentional about protecting the things we care about as a nation, like the rule of law and the free press and liberties and, the, <laughs> yeah. you know, all of these things. We might <laughs> just things. go back to first principles. I agree. There's a responsibility for the tech companies. There's a responsibility from the government. And then we have personal responsibility mm -hmm. to just, you know, put on your thinking cap. Like, what am I looking at? Does this make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the fragmented nature of media now means that you can't just issue a press release and then the information is going to get to people. You have to actually go to where people are getting their information. It's a lot more intensive, I think, for communicators to have to navigate these days. But it's something that will be more impactful than if you just issue a press release and expect, you know, legacy media to then go report on it. I think that's absolutely right. OK, so the big takeaway is we are experiencing not just us, but Europe as well. These increased spamiflage mm -hmm. campaigns on our social media platforms. We should all be aware of it. The big tech companies need to pay attention to it. We hopefully will find some cooperation with the government as we go into this election season. And you and I are both long on democracy and Americans. So, yeah, I think that was a great summary. Yeah, because we were kind of all over the place. There's so many different directions you could take with the CCP and online. I know we, came, we <laughs> brought it all back. We brought it all back and tied it together. OK, so we've now talked politics. Now we're going to talk culture wars. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> this is a wild podcast. Yes. <laughs> Exactly what we wanted to discuss. So this isn't really culture wars. It's AI, which we have to talk about. But last week, two things happened in the world of artificial intelligence that were evidence that these products are not ready for prime time, even though they're fully in prime time. So I think that, you know, the iconic phrase from Silicon Valley was move fast and break things. And this is like, oh, we're just giving you something broken. So the two <laughs> stories, one was about Google images. So I'll start by explaining what happened with them. Google Images, for anyone who didn't see it last week, had started to over-index on taking bias out of the data set. So basically, all these data sets of images have way more white people than is representative of the world. And the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Google had their data set. And then they said this, they tuned it to be more representative, which resulted in things like a woman pope, and then everybody freaked out because it felt like, well, Google's manipulating what you see for some sort of woke agenda. Now, again, 
they're trying to correct for what they know is a problem in the data set, which is it is not remotely representative of the globe. It's not even remotely representative of the United States. So they they basically pushed pause, regrouped and, and communicated about it, which I want to ask your opinion on. The second thing that happened is ChatGPT, everybody's favorite large language model prompt, just started spewing gibberish. Apparently, a software engineer had updated the code and just true, like AI hallucinations started coming out of the machine and it was just completely broken <laughs> and a mess. And so basically, you had two of the biggest AI platforms just have on the fritz, you know, during a week, AT&T had an outage. Too. Yeah, just total technology meltdown week, total technology meltdown week. And so I think these are interesting communications issues because Google took a very different approach than OpenAI in how they addressed the issue. So do you have thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like the OpenAI gibberish. They just like responded with gibberish. Like you read their statements. And you're like, what are you even talking about? And, you know, then Google I think who has been obviously dealing with these types of snafus for a much longer time, they had very transparent, thoughtful, plain language blog posts that they put out. Google did a really good job, I think, of like transparently laying out exactly what happened. And I think that's the only way that you can combat this is being overly transparent and plain language about this real time. Whereas you compare it with how OpenAI handled it, technical jargon right? And not full explanation. And it was also a little bit piecemealed in the way that they issued the statements. And I think that is something that confuses people more. And it fueled more speculation and more online conversation instead of providing people a single source to go to to understand what happened, right? People were having to go to secondary sources of like translation of like, what is this? Like what right. is actually happening? And that's not what you want from a good you know communications perspective. You want people just to be able to go to your site, understand what happened, still have faith in the system and and move on. You even saw this with AT&T, right? Like because they had to issue a few statements of like, we don't know what's going on. And then, you know, people were like super confused. And Marco Rubio's like tweeting that like, you know, this this is what could happen when with a CCP like cyber attack and, you know, all this stuff. And then it's like, oh, it was a software bug. We, right. we basically it was this a human is what, error. All of these things were human errors. Yeah. Every single thing that happened last week in tech meltdown was because humans. Yeah. Humans either tuned a little too much toward trying to eliminate bias in Google. Somebody screwed up the coding in chat GPT. And then AT&T, same thing. So these are humans are always touching the code, but the code is just ones and zeros. It's not like a sentient thing that's out to get us. It's just software and they're releasing it and we're using it as it's evolving. And so I think you're right. The communications around it just to bring the level of distress down is important because when this technology soon now is part of our healthcare system, part of our financial system, part of our transportation system, suddenly these kind of errors are not okay. It's one thing if you're drafting an email for your boss using ChatGPT and it, it spews out gibberish. It's another thing if, if these um, technologies are built into our critical infrastructure and our most private and important use cases. A hundred percent. Like, I mean, DOD is looking at threat analysis, right, with AI and like how they can use AI to predict and communicate quickly threats, right, like from other nations to then influence their decision making. So if for whatever reason, there's a bug in the system and it's like, oh, Russia actually has a nuke that they're about to launch right now. And then we're making decisions based off of that. That's a big problem. Right. Right. And so I am I'm actually really 
increasingly excited about the opportunities of AI. And this is a shift for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it's a major shift from deeply cynical and eye rolling to like, no, this is going to be actually really great for in a lot of ways. And so it's so important to communicate, hey, listen, we know there's this issue. We know it's super biased. We're trying to correct for that. We overdid it. We tuned too much. And hey, we've got software engineers and sometimes they're super tired and they ran out of like whatever Red Bull, whatever kids are drinking these days and like screwed up a coding thing. Now you have gibberish. We're going to fix it. AT&T, same thing. If you can communicate clearly how you're going to repair it and how it's not going to happen in the future, then people can start to have trust in these technologies, which they're already pretty freaked out about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, we'll probably reach a state in which when they're doing software updates and there is a potential for a bug, that's probably going to need to be communicated, right? Like there needs to be basically a flag of, hey, we're doing system updates. You may see glitches. And then that kind of lowers the temperature on some of these things. So you don't know how your bugs or your software updates are going to affect these types of things versus like the DOD example I was just using they're going to be using their own data sets and it's going to be a much different situation of the way in which they're applying AI versus like these like global, you know, internet scraping, you know, like the chat GPTs of the world. I think that's a great point. And maybe we end on that. If you communicate ahead of time now, obviously, if Google had communicated ahead of time, hey, the data set is not remotely representative. We have a lot of bias in our results. So we're going to try to um, find ways to create better representation, like stay tuned. Maybe if they'd pre-announced what they were doing, people wouldn't have the sensation that they were being fed something. Right. Taken. That they Mm -hmm. might know ahead of time, this is what Google is proactively trying to do to fix something we know is a fundamental problem in this technology. Yeah. And then if the, the flags are happening, it's like, then the conversation is Google is really overtuning this. This is ridiculous. Not, you know, Google's trying to pull something over us. Right. And this is not new, by the way. Mm-hmm. So back in the day at Google, we had these one boxes and occasionally they would come up with, you'd say, who's the president of the United States and say Hillary Clinton. And that was based on like a bizarre, it was people searching for those terms together and it created a, a one box, but no end of problems for me as a, <laughs> as a press person at Google, because I'd have to try to explain like, no, we're not trying to convince people that this thing happened or is going to happen. And so it's not new that they have these issues, but if you can try to explain ahead of time, at least not for the fringes, but for the ma- vast majority of people, they I think they can see when someone's trying to, in good faith, make a better product for them so that they can trust using it. So I think maybe we end on that, which is just communicate more and yeah, simply. over-communicate. Yes, over-communicate. <laughs> Lauren, I want to thank you again for being a guinea pig on this format, being our first co-host. Next uh, month, Adam Kavakovich from the Chamber of Progress is going to be coming on to try the, the same thing. If you're listening and you like this format, let us know. If you would make some changes, let us know that. But you're just such a good sport and a good friend. And thank you very much well, for coming thank on. Thank you. I've loved it. This has been super fun. <laughs> That's a wrap. If this podcast gives life to your inner tech nerd, please do subscribe or leave us a five-star review. Anybody listening to this show knows the algorithm needs to be fed, and I really want to keep it ad-free and independent. Tune in next Thursday. You can find video content on YouTube. You can find us on Instagram, or you can just follow up Teched Up wherever you get your content. Thanks for tuning in.